0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to uh, pull out your Bible and turn to the book of Acts, I I thought we wouldn't do very much today. We're just going to do the first five chapters of the book of Acts. I didn't think you could handle that six. Can we turn this down just a little bit? I feel like I'm yelling at myself, which I deserve, uh, but... uh, So last week we introduced... uh The phrase, neighbors and nations, comes from Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the nations. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Commandment And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Neighbors and nations. And God... Um, I think more clearly than ever, wants that to be a focus for us and and really a follow-through. First, because it comes from the authoritative word of God. Make disciples of all nations and love your neighbor as yourself. But also just because of the places that he has strategically placed. All three of our Our churches, Uh, Tomball is a fast-growing community, one of the fastest-growing suburbs in all of Houston. I know if you've been here a long time, you kind of, kind of hate, hate relationship with that, probably. Uh, But, uh, but as 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 a matter of fact, the Grand Parkway has come through. People are coming, and uh, if you're looking for kind of a country, rural experience, that's bad news. But if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, it's going to be even easier, and there are going to be more neighbors. To love at our other two locations, if you've ever been there, uh, Bayou City, Cyprus, When we moved into that location six years ago, is when we started that church. is was on Telgi Road, uh, and there was nothing next to it. Uh, It was a very odd place. It was actually a saloon, and it said that on the building. Imagine going to worship at a place, and it was the Wicked Pony Saloon, literally. It's hard to be filled with the Spirit and walk into a saloon, but uh, we we did it. Uh, It doesn't look like that anymore, Um, but at the time there were just fields everywhere. It, It really was not a place that you, if you were strategically trying to place a church to reach the heart of Cyprus, I don't think, in my opinion, you would have placed it there, but that was kind of the only place we could meet, and so we did. And if you've been by recently, now on both sides of us, there is a new townhome development being built on the south side, and on the north side, uh, new apartments are, 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 are being built right now. And so within six months to a year, there'll literally be uh, 500, 600 new people, um, literally our neighbors. And... Uh, And we're trying to figure out how to put a gate in their fences so that they could walk to church. Love your neighbor as as yourself. But what we do in here is just as important as any strategy that we would have to reach those out there. In fact, the main idea for today, if you wanted to write it down, the experience inside the church becomes the message to the people outside the church. The experience inside the church becomes the message to the people outside the church. How we serve one another, how we love one another, how we help one another, how we live together, it it really does... It really does matter. The book of Acts is like peeking into your neighbor's window. If you remember when you were a kid and you would knock on your neighbor's door to see if they could come out to play. And if no one came right away, uh, most homes have some kind of big picture window right next to the front door. And so I remember uh, trying to peek in, reach up, and look into my neighbor's house to see what was going on in there and see if they were going to be able to come out to play. That's what the book of Acts is. It's us stretching and being able to, to peek into the lives of the the very first Christians, and the gatherings that they had there. And so as I mentioned, we're going to read uh, a lot in the first five chapters of Acts. If you have a Bible, I want you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone, and I want you to follow along. Find a Bible app, even if you just Google uh, Acts 1 through 5. I bet it will put you in the ballpark, because it is going to be a lot of reading, and I do want you to see it with your eyes, if possible. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So this is Luke writing a letter, a biography of the first Christians. He has already written Theophilus, a biography of Jesus. We know that as the gospel of Luke. So this is a part two. All that Jesus began to do and to teach, that was part one, until the day that he was taken up into heaven. Now, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Chapter 2, verse 42. Actually, verse 41. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved chapter 3 verse 1. And one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and at 3 in the afternoon. At 3 in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. This causes quite a commotion, and and so people come around to see what has happened, and Peter uses that opportunity to tell them about Christ and Christ's power and his saving power. Long story short, after his sermon, he and John are arrested. Verse 23 of chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly verse 32 all the believers were one in heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their own possessions was their own but they shared everything they had with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and god's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needing persons among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Chapter 5 verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number." As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And finally... Uh, more apostles were arrested. Uh, verse forty-one: The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The experience inside a church becomes the message sent to people outside the church. That's the pattern that we see here. Something would happen among them, and people are added to faith. People are hearing about the miracles that are happening. They're bringing them from all over the place. There would be some kind of commotion. It would draw attention. A message would be proclaimed people would believe in Christ. The experience inside the church becomes a message to people outside the church. So what are the defining traits and characteristics? I'm sure we could make a long list. I brought five with me, if you care to write these down. Number one, the presence of God. What should be the defining characteristic of our church gatherings, the presence of God. In these pages, we see the activity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the eternal purpose of the Father. We see teaching about the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. And we see the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had made this promise to his disciples that God's presence would be with them. His presence would be with them. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So let's do a little count. One, two. Jesus is here. So we're good. That's what he said. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ when Peter is trying to help an infant church that he's writing his letter to understand what it means to be the church and how they should operate. He looks for a metaphor to, to describe that and so he chooses their most prominent religious monument, the temple in Jerusalem, and he says, you guys, uh, you are a temple. Each of you is a stone that is you to build the temple and together we become the house of God. The Apostle Paul used the same image, First Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Paul writes, Timothy, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul says God is living. Over and over through the scripture, he is known as the living God. And if God is alive, then he is active and present. And we together are his house. We are his household. When people come among us, he is the host. The household of the living God. A couple of days ago, I was out and about, and the two people in front of me, we were kind of walking from point A to point B, the two people in front of me. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. They started talking about our church, which is always like, oh, uh, how's this going to go? Um, I, I knew they were talking about our church. It, it was pretty clear by the context, uh, and, and then they also said our name, but they didn't really say our name. They, they sort of said our name. They, they called us Bayou Fellowship, Which, the name of our church, in case you're not sure where you are, is Bayou City Fellowship. Three separate words. Uh, They somehow managed to, you can combine them lots of different ways. Uh, People younger than 25, especially at our Spring Branch campus, they call it Bayou. Uh, Are you going to Bayou tonight? Which is pretty cool. I can't pull that off, but I think that's pretty cool. Some people call it Bayou City. First time I've ever heard it called Bayou Fellowship. I I don't even want to go to that church. I think that's a terrible name. But I could tell that they were talking about us. And, um, and so somebody, there, somebody said, well, where's that church at? And they gave our church address. They said, well, it's on this road. And in some ways they are correct. Uh, but mostly biblically they were wrong. Uh, because our, our church is everywhere. And the reason our church is everywhere is because we are going to go everywhere this week. And whenever there are at least two of us. That's where our church is. So crazy thought, biblically, when we leave and, I mean, I got a few more pages here, but when we eventually leave, <laughs> this will no longer be a church. Whoever's last one here when locks the door, as soon as they lock the door, this is not a church anymore. Biblically speaking, it's just a building. It is only a church when at least two of us are here. Because at least when two of us are here, then actually three of us are here, according to Matthew chapter 18. It's you, it's whoever you are with, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, that gathering becomes the household of the living God. So in uh, a couple of weeks, community groups are going to start. and, And God will be hosting lots of people all over the tomball area in homes because one two and then a third will all be there the church of the living god has no address it has names it has your name and it has the other believers in christ we are god's temple we are god's house this is the household of the living god and whenever we peek into those first Christians' lives, we see God's presence. It has to be a defining trait of any legitimate biblical church. A Second defining trait is praise to God. Chapter 2 verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Chapter 4 verse 21, after further threats they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because of all the people were praising God for all that had happened. Uh, A confession, I have always wanted to be one of the worship leaders because it's kind of like being a rock star, but it's for Jesus. So it's like two wins, you know. And so when I was uh, much, much younger, I learned how to play the guitar, uh, you know, in case God would call me into that kind of ministry. Turns out he hasn't, but I I have hoped. Uh, I remember in my early 20s or so we went to a retreat and uh, we were all in this kind of a hotel room, just a kind of a small group of us. We were just filled with lots of religious zeal. And so the singing that happened in the corporate gathering was not enough. We needed to do a little singing in in our hotel room. And so some singing starts and I just accidentally have happened to have brought my guitar with me. And so just like, oh, just let me go over here. And oh, wow, look what I've gotten. And uh, I'm back. And I knew the songs that they were singing. And so I start strumming along and I feel like that at that point, there just is a really sweet spirit in the room. And so we sing uh, one, uh, two songs with me accompanying on the guitar. And the guy who is kind of just, you know, in, informally leading, he says, uh, hey, we're going to keep singing, but what if we sing these next ones without the guitar? So. That guy's not even in the faith anymore. He, is, he loves the Lord and he's a good person. <laughs> I still remember it, though was a wound. So o- only, you know, a few of us uh, bring, you know, guitars and drums and, and really you only want one drummer probably in a, in a gathering. But all of us do bring an instrument. We bring our voice. It's a God-given instrument. And so, we really are more than just worshipers when we come together. We are actually worship leaders. You're actually giving something and serving when you sing. Colossians chapter 3 says that we admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, there's two purposes in using your voice when we sing together. And I know that some of us are, you know, and I should be this way. I'm not, but like, I don't have a good voice. It's not, you know, I'm not a singer. And if you are thinking that way, that may be totally true in every definition, but you still have to sing. And and you got to sing boldly. Now your voice doesn't need to go above everyone else's voice. I think that's one of the reasons why God has us sing together is because when they're singing and you can hear the voices, you kind of find the pocket. You find where your voice fits in the sweet spot. You don't want to be above uh, the rest of the crowd. It's a real picture of unity, right? We don't want to just be out there serving and by ourselves or just being Christians by ourselves. We we fit together and you, you see that and experience that when you're singing. But you have to sing even if you're not a singer because God gave you that instrument. So just like if somebody bought you a guitar for Christmas, you wouldn't be like, this guitar is I mean, this is like, you, did you get this on sale? Like, this is like, it's awful. No. God gave you an instrument for the purpose of singing. So when you say, well, that's, I'm not a singer. What you are saying to God, and I know you don't mean it like this, and I don't mean it like this when I think it. What you are saying to God is your instrument that you gave me is no good. It can't do the thing that it was created to do. And God will say back to you. Yes it can. Get over yourself. Yes it can. So you have to sing. Number, number one. But you also have to sing. Because the person on the other side of the room. Colossians 3 says. Is going to be admonished. Encouraged in their faith. Through the singing of these songs. Right? And, and that is one thing. I think this is just my opinion. Um, that our instruments can't do for us. Only the collective voices of the people of God singing the songs of God together can build up our souls. So you gotta sing. You gotta sing because God deserves it. And you gotta sing because somebody in the room needs it. We we come in here wounded. Life is hard. Just this morning at our other church, a guy who serves every week, just total saint of the church, has known for a while that he has a, um, a degenerative kind of dementia. He knows it's coming. He needs you to sing because it will minister to him. And we see in these early gatherings that praise is a big part Of what marks their their church. Number three, there's the presence of God. There's praise to God. There's learning and doing. Chapter two, verse forty-two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Chapter five, verse forty-two. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what the New Testament letters are. They're instructions. Paul was writing instructions to the Corinthians. John is writing instructions to the church that he felt responsible for. He he called himself the the elder. He said, I'm an old man now and I'm writing to you, my little children. Here are the instructions. The disciples, they were students of Jesus. Because Jesus is teacher and Lord. So there is a learning... But because he's a Lord, he's Lord. then there's, there's doing. It's not just the learning. It's the learning and the practicing. The learning and the following through. So they follow Jesus around for three years. And as they're following him around, they're, they're not just giving him loyalty. Like, oh, you're the Messiah, so I'm just going to be your entourage. They're, they're watching him do ministry. And he taught them very specific things. He taught them how to teach. He taught them how to enter somebody's home when invited in. And he gave them very specific instructions. When you're invited into a home, if it feels like this, do this. If it doesn't feel like that, then do this separate thing. When you leave a home, this is how you need to leave it. He he taught them how to be financially responsible as they went about doing their ministry. They're watching him and they're learning how he interacts with the world. Because then he ascends into heaven. And what do we see them doing? Doing what he did. And many of us need to re-enroll in the school of Jesus. And I'm guessing some of us have dropped out for two primary reasons. Reason number one is because of what my son Jackson, who's 13, comes home and says about subjects that he doesn't really care for. I'm never going to use this. And you know what? On some of it, he's not wrong. I'm never going to use this. What's the point of learning it? And as we talked about last week, most of us consider ourselves regular people. We feel like the Bible is applicable in, on every page to the, like the, the real serious people. The people who like, don't have anything else going on. Uh, they don't have cares and stresses in this world. The people who are really committed for whatever reason. There's lots in there for them. But what is in here for a regular person? A few verses here and there. So we've dropped out of the school of Jesus. Or we've dropped out of the school of Jesus because we feel like we already graduated. And churches can have a culture that make us think, well, I already know all this. I've heard this before. There's nothing new for me to learn. But in the first church, as we peek into the window, we see them learning and doing. We also see them loving one another And this love expressed itself in three ways here in these first pages of Acts. First, they were together. Chapter 2, verse 44, all the believers were together. Chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Chapter 5, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They are together all the time. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in a little country Baptist church, southwest Missouri. There were three things on our calendar every week. There was Sunday morning church, then there was a separate Sunday night church. Separate sermon, separate songs, same people. Uh, hadn't even had time to do anything that we had learned that morning, because you, you go to morning church, and you take a nap, and then you go back and get some more in the evening church. And then there was Wednesday night. Wednesday night was supposed to be a prayer meeting. Really, it was just another sermon Cloaked in a different title. But three times we had to go. And now we don't live in that culture anymore. Um, at, at most, the church is probably asking you to come twice. But for most of us, we just kind of swoop in in an hour. And then we swoop out. And if church lasts longer than an hour, it kind of gets under our skin a little bit. Right? And then that's fine. But it's going to be hard to really love one another in a meaningful way. And it's going to be hard to love and receive love from other people because you love the most or you love the deepest or you love the truest, those you spend time with. You know, that's why you love your, your family in a more specific way than you, you love your neighbor because you spend more time with your family. That's why you express love to your best friends a, a little bit differently than you express love to your co-workers. It's not because they're better people necessarily, it's just because you know them more. And if we really are going to love one another the way that the scripture would have us do, we, ha- we have to spend time together. They also loved one another through food, which is good news for Houstonians, isn't it? Chapter 2, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 46 of that same chapter, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It is a good thing when the people of God gather around a table. And they express their love through generosity. Chapter two, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Sometimes my kids will get into, you know, tiffs. Uh, That's the religious way of saying they fight. They get mad at one another. They pick at one another. They annoy one another. And occasionally you parents know you have to say apologize to your sister or apologize to your brother. There has never ever in the history of the world been a sincere apology that has followed that. (laughs) They don't want to. We've not even given them time to be sorry about what they did right we just make them do it against their will and as a parent you know that you can kind of bow up big enough to get them to do it so when we read these passages about them being so generous that they're selling their property and they're just bringing it to the house of the living God and setting it at the leadership's feet and saying hey do whatever you want I assume there are needy people among us um the, the vision really is, is that God might bow up big enough to make me do that, but I don't want to do that. That would be against my will, but he's God, you know, so what are we going to do? And I, I think it's important to know that that's not how God works. God wants to change our will. He's just like you as a parent, know that a us. An apology that doesn't come from a sincere heart is really meaningless. It's just the act of doing it. God is not interested in any religious acts just for the sake of acting. Right? He, he wants to conform our will to his. He, he may want to change us, but any of us are nervous today. Uh, I don't want to do that. God, please don't make me do that. I think you're fine. Because look at what it says. In verse 33, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time. It was just a thing that God was doing. There was no guilt. There was no... Peter wasn't up there really stirring everybody up to give, 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 give. I doubt they had to repass the plates. We've passed for financial offerings now. Now we're going to pass for the deeds of your homes. Just God was at work. And when God is at work and one person follows him in that, it is contagious in a way. But their love was shown through this extreme generosity. And then finally, there was prayer. Chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Chapter 4, verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Prayer is foundational to these first gatherings of these first Christians, uh, I, I think prayer is hard. In, in fact, most of us would like to do anything but pray. So I brought a list of things that are easier to do than prayer. Number one, everything. No, number two, everything. Everything is easier than, than prayer. Um, strategizing is easier, doing is easier, talking about it is easier. Back to my little Baptist church. Wednesday nights were prayer meetings. Re- really Wednesday nights were uh, prayer requests. Followed by one person praying. Followed by a sermon. It's, all of those things are fine. But you know why it was like that? It's not because anybody had a bad heart. It's just everything is easier than prayer. Sermons are easier than prayer. Worship is easier than prayer talking about prayer, like I'm doing right now, easier than prayer. But, but prayer, we see in the scripture and through experience, is a catalytic moment. When the church prays, God shows his work. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, when they heal that man who had been lame, and that man then goes into the temple with them, jumping around and praising God. You know what they were on their way to do? Pray, it says. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes up on a roof to pray. And it is as he's praying that God gives him a vision that essentially helps the church get to people like us, Gentile people. A catalytic moment in the history of the people of God through prayer. Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. Meanwhile, the church gathers to pray, and wonder upon wonder, an angel comes into his jail cell, opens the doors, and leads him out. Acts chapter 13, the Antioch leaders are praying and fasting and worshiping, and it's in that context that God says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 16, a woman named Lydia has gone to pray. She has not heard the story of Jesus yet, but she has heard the stories of the God of the Old Testament, our Father. And so she goes to pray to him. And as she and others are gathered to pray to him, Paul and his friends come to tell them the rest of the story about God's son, Jesus. And she becomes the first Christian in that region of the world. And many churches are birthed out of the church that resides in her home. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison and they are praying and they are singing hymns and an earthquake happens. The doors open. They're free to go, but more than that, the jailer who is responsible for them gives his life to Christ and then his family gives their lives to Christ. God has sovereignly decided that prayer changes things. It it, it changes things when we pray. So what you are praying for makes a difference. But also the act of praying itself. Things change. Right before we started Bayou City eight and a half years ago. uh, We were a month... It was, everything was getting ready to start in a month, and so I was on the phone with one of our other uh, core team members, and there was a, a $5,000 expense uh, that we had to say, yes, we're going to spend it, or no, we're not. And at the time, $5,000 was a lot. $5,000 was always a lot of money. It was especially at, at a lot of money compared to like $0, uh, which is what we had then, and so it was a real big faith decision. To go ahead and spend this five thousand dollars, and so I'm a hedge my bets kind of guy, which I'm sure shows a lack of faith. But I said, so here's what we'll do: we'll do it for one month. If nobody comes to this church, we cannot afford five thousand dollars, you know. So we'll know if in a month people come, then whatever five thousand dollars. I hang up the phone, and I start to pray. It wasn't like a oh sovereign Lord; it was more of God. I assume you heard that conversation. So five thousand dollars. Within five minutes, somebody walked into my office and said, I was praying this morning and I want to give you this $5,000. So in that instance, it was not my prayer that caused the $5,000. Because God had already spoken to them. But it was in the prayer. Through the prayer. The prayer was the tipping point. And so we got to pray as a church. One, because things will change when we pray, yes. But it's in prayer that God will show his work. That God will show us. Pull back the curtain to let us know all the things that he is doing for us and through us and in us. Even though I feel like I made everyone feel uh, efficiently guilty about only being at church an hour. uh, Let's finish with Acts chapter 5. We skipped over this section that the apostles have been arrested and and the leaders who are arresting them are trying to figure out what to do with them because these first followers of Jesus, they caused a commotion and um, governments don't like commotion. Uh, People in power don't like commotion. They want everything to just be the same always. And so the things, things have changed. They've changed in the temple because these believers are going to the temple every day and they're praying in the name of Jesus. It's just causing a ruckus. So they don't know what to do. So they just arrest the whole lot of them. And now they're deciding what to do. And one of them stands up and essentially says, we should just let him go. And this is his reasoning. Verse 38. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. The kinds of church that we've read about, the pages of scripture, churches with these defining characteristics. That kind of church cannot be stopped. Cannot. Listen. With support from the government or without it? Cannot be stopped. With cultural approval. Oh, every, everybody's a Christian. Bless those Christians. Or re- cultural rejection. It cannot be stopped. With large public buildings or in secret homes. With social media influence or without. With a big budgets or with a widow's mite. With church gyms and amenities or none. This kind of church cannot be stopped because it is not of human origin. But just like with prayer, being that kind of church is hard. It is so simple. And it is so hard. And we're tempted in these moments to... Look around and say, I want to go to a church like that. And then we look at one another and are like, well, you better be like that then. You, you better not mess up my church experience. I want to be a, go to a church that prays, so you better start praying right now. Right. You better start being generous. I mean, I'm not going to, but you better start being generous. I got needs. Tended to look around and use it as a checklist for what we should expect out of other people. It makes sense because most of us have only ever had church done for us. My pastor studies. I don't need to study the Bible. That's what he does. The prayer warriors of our church, they're really girding us up in prayer. Girding is only a word you use at church, by the way. <laughs> I assume my church is giving to the poor. My church is doing outreach. My church is loving neighbors as it loves itself. But this is not a checklist for what you should expect from a church or what I should expect from a church. It's, a, it's what we should expect from ourselves. Because what happens in here is the thing that people will talk about out there. So God, we pray together now and would you just... Let these words that we've read today just lift up off the page and land here among us. Will you shape us and change us and conform us to your will? Will you help us to want the things that you want for us? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.